Shields up, red alert. Spoilers decloaking off the starboard bow. Um, yeah, that was a warning. Spoilers include Perfect Creature and a few minor details about family members in the first few seasons of Dexter. And welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. You can probably tell by the sound of my voice that I'm not Simon Meddings or Rico Dosti. I'm Jen Rhodes, and I am an anomaly. And I'm not Jen Rhodes. I'm Simon Meddings from Waffle On. But no, you're not listening to our shows. You're indeed listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, episode 385 for Sunday, May the 20th, 2012. Subject to health and safety guidelines, Please read the small print terms and conditions do apply. We're standing in for Rico this week, and in this edition of Treks and Sci-Fi, we'll be reviewing a diesel punk, steampunk hybrid vampire film called Perfect Creature. Whose idea was this anyway? It was yours. <laughs> it was mine. <laughs> it was yours to pick out an, a, a film we've never seen. We have never, never seen heard it. of. Never heard of it. <laughs> I don't think anyone has, and I don't think after this podcast anyone will. <laughs> Nobody will. <laughs> <laughs> You might remember me from the Ready Room. I hosted a microcast for Trucks and Sci-Fi with Kenny. It was very fun. We even did two audio dramas. The RPG stories still exist on the forum in the archive, and you should go check it out. You don't have to be a member, but you really should, because it's really fun there. There's lots of fun people there. We've become friends with many of the people you probably have heard on this show. Well, I say friends. It's people we put up with, isn't it? Yeah, really? it is. Let's right. be honest. Ryan's always half naked. Ryan you know. and uh, Rick, that dude, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I tell you what, you know, every time I speak to him, he, he doesn't speak in uh, human vocal ranges. He speaks in iPad. He does. he does. I'm down to one podcast now. I co-host a show called Anomaly with my best friend Angela, who also happens to be the plucky comic relief. And we've been laughing and cutting up on the interwebs for over five years now. The feed consists of a microcast and Anomaly, which uh, the microcast is called Anomaly Supplemental, and it's hosted by Casey and Sue and... They've both been forum members, and Casey's even appeared on Treks and Sci-Fi doing the Who episodes that you and Kenny have guest hosted Ooh. before for Rico. So she's been trying to convert me to become a Who fan for a while. How, how's she, how's she getting on with that? It's not coming along. Really? <laughs> it's too quirky for me. But of course anyway. it's quirky. It's English. It's That's English. what we're all about, quirky. <laughs> you can keep your firefly. We do all of our discussions on science fiction and fantasy from the feminine perspective. We're dude-friendly, though, so guys are welcome to listen, too. You can find us on Stitcher Radio as well as iTunes, Zune, and Blackberry stores. Or you can just go to AnomalyPodcast.com. And that is my shameful plug for the evening. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, like Jen, I too felt the influential wave of Rico's Jedi finger, thankfully that's all it was, uh, to create my own podcast. In fact, I have two of my own, and I guest host on another one. Anyway, my flagship podcast is called Waffle On, and we do chat about classic TV and films from around the world uh, with my mate Kelly. And the other show is called The Tipplecast, and that's a podcast about quality ales, imported lagers and cool bars. It's an alcoholic's dream basically. Uh, I'm also the lead writer of drama and comedy for Martian Creative, a company devoted to creating audio drama, music and scripts. And that's that. That's me. That's me sold. Someone give me a job. (laughs) Me too. We should work together. (laughs) What we do? Waffle on and Anomaly are like the brother and sister of the internet. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. But anyway, I mentioned that we act in audio dramas together, and we write scripts, and we share podcast episodes. In fact, we did one on Monty Python. Python. Monty Python. That's better. (laughs) And the Holy Grail. (laughs) But the Shaun of the Dead episode we did was back in October, and that is in both of our feeds. Mm, You're only just getting over that, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) You've only just survived that holocaust of zombiness. But, you know, the fun part was the audio drama that we did at the beginning. That was good. So anyway. And now we have the great honor of guest hosting Treks and Sci-Fi, the podcast responsible for our geeky buddyship. Yay! uh, So it sort of brings us full circle. Thank you, Rico, for Treks and Sci-Fi and for the great friendships we've made. Well, anyway, enough of this uh, (laughs) self-indulgence. And I I don't mean the cake and the wine that we are steadily getting through, especially Jen. It's two o'clock in the morning. She's already on the whiskey. You can hear the ice (laughs) clinking in the background. Don't let her tell it's water. Uh, So anyway, we might as well. Let's play the trailer for the film Perfect Creature. 
Insert trailer. For centuries, we brothers have served mankind, and them us, the great union. Let the blood be one, and the two races join as a perfect creature. Welcome to the world, little brother. Comments on the dead. No. Well, they're saying it was a brother. Have you thought about what would happen if they found out we were covering up these deaths? Just why you must find him, Silas. The Brotherhood have requested to be part of the investigation. No brother has ever taken a human life. We must refuse to let one aberrant individual destroy the balance between the two races. Only being what I was meant to be. The police were. You want her, don't you? Just like me. He's become infected. Now he carries this thing out into the world. Can you imagine what will happen if he infects others? I will be the bait. That's what he wants. You must think of the greater good and of your own future. So before we talk about what we think about this film, why don't you give us some boring details? No, oh, I'm all about the details, Jen. This came out in 2006 and had a budget of $11 million. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, gosh. Anyway, it was written and directed by Glenn Standring. What a name. Oh, is it my turn? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's got your name. <laughs> Standring who hails from New Zealand, is a screenwriter and film director who specializes in horror and fantasy genre. His first feature film as writer-director was the low-budget success The Irrefutable Truth About Demons in 2000, which was nominated for Best Film Awards at Fantasy Films in Portugal and Spain. The movie was retitled The Truth About Demons in Many Countries. Set largely after dark, Demons follows a rationalist university lecturer played by New Zealand actor Carl Urban as he attempts to escape the attentions of a satanic cult. Uh, standard New Zealand uh, uh, way of life there. Now, uh, why don't you tell us the, uh, the person who you thought Carl Urban was, Jen? Let's tell, <laughs> tell the listeners who you thought this fine actor was. Keith Urban. <laughs> <laughs> and what does he do? He's a country singer. I think so he's from Australia, he's a- though. He's he's married to Nicole Kidman. Okay, Carl okay. Urban. I know he was the Star Trek dude. He was on Star Trek. <laughs> you cannot have my geek card. I'm sorry. Well, uh, you lost it for about half an hour, mainly whilst I was laughing my socks off at you <laughs> as you constantly asked me who he was. Like, oh, anyway, Perfect Creature was produced by Tim Sanders and the music by Anne Dudley. Now, Anne is one of my favourite composers. She's born in Kent and she's most well known for being one of the core members of the band Art of Noise. Uh, she won an Academy Award for the score to the hit film For Monty. Now, the Art of Noise did a single... Uh, which featured Mac Max Headroom. So that's a sci-fi link there, and that's an awesome band, The Art of Noise. It's an awesome what? Awesome band. Oh, band. Sorry, yeah. I needed some clarification. Couldn't understand your English. Oh, yeah, well, you, you can't speak American. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'll tell Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> the main two actors are Doug Ray Scott. Is that how you say it? Doug Ray? <laughs> Doug Ray Scott. Hold on a minute. Who just had to go at me for speaking English? <laughs> You might be Doug- Scottish, but Dougray, Dougray. Scottish. Dougray Scott. Is it Dougray or is it Dougray? Dougray. Okay. Dougray Scott and Saffron Barrows. Uh, no, let's have a bit about Dougray Scott. Born in Scotland, hence the reason why his last name is Scott. Uh, now, a lot of people don't know that uh, Jen's husband, Dave, was actually born on the Greek island of Rhodes, hence the reason why her name is now 
Jen Rhodes. So, uh, Doug Ray Scott, born in Scotland. Uh, he began his acting career in national theatre, television, and puppet shows. <laughs> oh, my Lord. E.G., probably street theatre and being out of work. Um, <laughs> he, he appeared in his first high-profile role on the television series Soldier, Soldier. And for our UK fans, they'll only remember Jerome Flynn and the guy who does fishing. American people have no idea what that is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, his film debut was in Twin Town. Now, his first major film roles were as Prince Henry in Ever After alongside Drew Barrymore, Angelica Houston and Melanie Linsky, and the hero in the adaptation of Robert Harris's novel Enigma, opposite Kate Winslet. In 2000, he signed to play the villain in Mission Impossible 2, handpicked by Scientology nuthouse Tom Cruise, <laughs> but, was, <laughs> but was also due to play Wolverine in the big screen version of X-Men. But when Mission Impossible 2 went over schedule by two months, Scott was replaced by the latter film by Hugh Jackman. Mm. After the release of The World Is Not Enough, Scott was the front runner to replace Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. Brosnan's contract was for three films with an optional fourth. Ugh. Anyway, ultimately, Brosnan's option was picked up, unfortunately. After its release, Scott was once again widely believed to be a leading candidate to take on the role. Despite numerous reports that Eon Productions was leaning towards naming Scott as the new Bond, it was Daniel Craig who got the role in Casino Royale. In January 2006, he appeared in the miniseries The Ten Commandments as Moses. Big role. He also appeared in the NBC series Heist, which aired in March 2006 for five episodes. From 2006 till 2007, he starred in the third series of that terrible programme, Desperate Housewives, as Terry Hatcher's character's new love interest. In 2007, he played the primary antagonist in the film Hitman, based on the popular video game. Recently, he appeared as a title roles of a modern retelling of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Scott, Brian Cox, Eddie Izzard and Jason Priestley starred in The Day of the Triffids, Written by Patrick Arbiton, the drama was broadcast in December 2009 as part of the BBC One Christmas schedule. Obviously ideal Christmas programme in there. In 2011, Scott featured in the film Love's Kitchen alongside his wife Claire Ferrani, who played his love interest in the film. On the opening weekend in the UK, it took just £121. What a success! In April of that year, he portrayed football manager Matt Busby in the BBC TV drama United, which was centred around the Munich air disaster of 1958, in which Busby was badly injured but survived. However, Busby's family reportedly incensed by Scott's portrayal as Busby as that of his assistant Jimmy Murphy by David Tennant, with Busby's son commenting that his father, who had died 17 years earlier, had the appearance of a gangster rather than a football manager, and was seen wearing an overcoat and trilby hat instead of a tracksuit, despite his father famously being the first tracksuit manager of the post-World War II era. Such fine details and things to be picked up on. I'm sorry, what was that? I I, I took a nap for a minute there. It was a longer... Cheek of it all, how dare you? I kid, I kid. (laughs) Go on then, let's let's hear your one. Okay. Saffron Burroughs was born in London, England, to a politically active family. Both of her parents were socialists. At 15, she was discovered by Graham Kung, a modeling talent scout. Burroughs stands six foot tall. Dang! Burroughs made her film debut in Jim Sheridan's In the Name of the Father in 1993. Her first significant acting role was as an ambitious Irish woman in Circle of Friends in 1995. Oh my gosh, you give me all the hard words. <laughs> Ngozi. Ngozi Aw- Anwuru. What Anwura? Anwura. Anu- Anwura. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And Ngozi's Welcome to the Terror Dome, 1995. Following this, she shared opposite Albert Finley in Dennis Potter's Karaoke for the BBC, 1996. Subsequently, she appeared in Hotel de Love, 1996, Love Life, 1997, Nevada, 1997, One Night Stand, 1997, and The Matchmaker, 1997. She performed in Italian in Mike Figgis' experimental film The Loss of Sexual Innocence in 1999, hmm, in which she played twins, one raised in England, the other in Italy. Burroughs then filmed the thriller Deep Blue Sea, that was a flop in 1999, <laughs> and the title role in Strindig's Miss Julie in 1999. The following year, she appeared opposite Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård in Time Code 2000. 
a split-screen digital experimental film shot in single, taken with no edit. Burroughs followed this film with Gangster No. 1 in 2000, starring opposite Paul Bettany and David Thewlis. In 2000, she had roles in Enigma and Tempted, and in 2004, she played the part of Andromache in the big-budget film Troy. Awful film. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) <laughs> in January 2005, she created the role of Jenny in the world premiere of Earthly Paradise at Alameda Theater. On the 30th of October 2005, she appeared on stage at the Old Victorian Theater in London in a rehearsed reading of Night Sky alongside Christopher Eccleston. Burroughs played attorney Lorraine Weller in ABC's Boston Legal Season 4 from, wow, finally, something good, from 2007 (laughs) to 2008. She starred on NBC's series My Own Worst Enemy until its cancellation. In 2008, she appeared in the independent film The Guitar, which made its debut in the Sundance Film Festival, as well as in a starring role in the heist film The Bank Job. Burroughs modeled for Marks and Spencer's autumn 2010 campaign for their portfolio range. Hello, anyone there? Okay, so that's the uh, that's the boring stuff done. Uh, Let's have the plot of the film. Well, the film opens as a pregnant woman's giving birth to a vampire. Lovely scene. Young brother Silas, aged 10 to 13, is told this child, Edgar, and he are from the same mother. Throughout this introduction, the mother is in visible emotional distress, reaching out across the room to Silas. 100 years later, Jamestown slum has had a series of attacks on women who are all found with their throats bitten. Lily Squires, Saffron Barrows, is in charge of the human police investigating these cases. She states that she comes from a workhouse in the same slum, and we establish that she is one of the few cops who care about what happens to these people at the bottom of the social economic heap. Lily finds a small boy who witnesses one attack and tells her that a brother was responsible. As the police don't want to panic the city, the string of murders is explained away as being the result of an outbreak of the rampant influenza virus. I'm starting to sound like Ross Jones. <laughs> Silas. <You aren't>. Yeah. <laughs> Silas Duggery Scott is detailed by the church cardinals to work with human police. It was like a generic church to me. I think it was leaning towards the look of the Christian yeah, church. Yeah, I thought so. But I don't, there, there didn't seem to be any um, obvious you know, mm-hmm. uh, connections to it, really. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he was detailed by the church cardinals to work with the human police because the brothers know that these attacks have been carried out by a brother, Silas's brother, Edgar, Leo Gregory. Edgar has sent Silas a recording of his last murder, challenging him to find and stop him before he kills again. This reminded me a lot of Dexter. Edgar <laughs> provides the location of his next murder. With Silas's help, Lily puts together a task force to take out the area Edgar has targeted. However, Edgar distracts the cops and attacks Lily, biting her in the neck. An officer interrupts the attack and Edgar flees. To save Lily's life, Silas tells her to drink his own blood. That was a gross scene, which she does <laughs> very enthusiastically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like almost erotic. But Silas then pushes Edgar, <laughs> managing to shoot him with a tranquilizing dart, and that was awesome. Silas later visits Lily in the hospital. We establish that she has no family, as they all died from influenza. Lily is having visions from drinking Silas's blood. The newspapers have published a fake story of the death of the killer, a deranged human who believed he was a brother. Edgar is being held in a brace, that was gross, a spiked body restraint in a cell in the church basement because Silas is soon to be made a member of the inner circle and he is told the full details of what's happened to Edgar. The Cardinals are worried that not a single brother has been born in 70 years and that a female vampire has never been born. Although they have publicly banned genetic research, the church has been carrying it out in secret. Edgar has been developing a virus to inject into a pregnant woman to force the baby to be born a vampire. Alas, the virus has mutated, and it has turned the women into violent, insane psychopaths. Awesome! (laughs) They also seemed a bit possessed. Ten of Edgar's research projects are already dead, and the last one is dying. Edgar has also become infected and is now insane. Now, Silas visits Edgar, who vows to escape and finish off Lily. Edgar accuses Silas of being in love with Lily, despite brothers being forbidden to love. 
Denied Silas is at a ceremony in the church for his own investiture as a cardinal, Edgar escapes, killing the guards and receptionists. That was awesome. Uh, and disappears into Jamestown. He enlists the help of a local named Freddy to help him catch Lily. Edgar has installed a tap and tube system into his forearm so he can turn on the flow of his own infected blood at any time. He catches a policewoman, fills her mouth with his blood. Hmm. Uh, Freddy insists on getting his own share as well, not knowing it is infected, greedy man that he was. Silas is guarded Lily at her apartment, and when she is sleeping, Silas shows some affection for her by imaginary kissing her. Edgar bursts through a window and grabs her. Silas and Edgar grapple. However, Silas is knocked unconscious long enough for Edgar and Lily to disappear. The virus has spread throughout Jamestown. The government has instituted a quarantine and soldiers shoot anybody who attempts to leave. Humans are rioting outside the churches and throwing their rosaries back at their brothers. Silas discovers Edgar's location is... Jamestown's water source, and Edgar is dripping his blood into the water supply, infecting all of Jamestown. However, each suburb has its own separate water supply. Silas is determined to go in and rescue Lily. However, another cardinal tells him that Jamestown will be burned to the ground to make sure that the virus dies, and Edgar with it. He warns Silas that his own career will be doomed if he ignores the greater good. <laughs> Greater good, it must be a hot fuzz. Uh, and breaches quarantine. Silas breaks through into Jamestown and heads to the aquifer, dodging the infected. Lily is handcuffed to a water pipe in a locked basement. Edgar comes in and she tries to persuade him to stop, but instead he challenges her about her dead child, saying that her race is as good as abandoning children. Edgar finds Silas and they fight. And just as Silas is winning, Edgar throws him backwards onto the prongs of a steam injector. As Silas lies groaning and possibly dying on the ground, Edgar approaches with a portable steam injector. When Edgar depresses the trigger, steam comes out. Well, who would have thought it's a steam injector? <laughs> Ridiculous. Edgar tells Silas he is going to burn Silas's face off so that he will be more of a monster just like him. Lily comes up behind Silas and kills him by stabbing another steam injector into the back of his skull. Silas escorts Lily from the water facility. He kisses Lily and says she must do something. <laughs> he gestures to a building, then tells Lily she must look after what she will find in there and keep it away from the Brotherhood. Lily enters the building and finds the other brother, a dead woman, and a baby! The brothers tell Lily the infant is the first female vampire ever born. The virus has created her, and she is truly the first perfect creature. Silas is branded a heretic and must stay in hiding. Meanwhile, Lily is caring for the baby, and Silas is watching over her. The movie ends with Silas saying that he is being hunted, but he will always fight back, leaving scope for a second movie. Good luck. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> Oh, dear me. Uh, let's talk about what we liked first, and then we'll talk about what we didn't like. Oh, okay. Because otherwise, I think you probably would just harp on it. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have started a steampunk vampire RPG on the Anomaly Forum. We did that before ever watching this movie. I just want to establish that right now. <laughs> now that is true. There was a few things in here that I, as I was watching, I was thinking, oh, I'm sure I've wrote something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. In fact, Sue and I just did a joint post. It was much like one of the scenes in this movie. And I thought, <laughs> okay, either that means we are remarkably unimaginative <laughs> or we're super uber awesome. <laughs> yeah. And sick. <laughs> and sick. <laughs> Do you want to go first and say what you liked about it? Yeah, okay. Then. Uh, I, I like the darkness of the film. I like the way that it's filmed in a grimy kind of like setting where everything looks like it should be the Victorian era, but then it's almost like the 1960s era and then it's the 1940s era in mm -hmm. England. I really quite like that. I liked Edgar. I thought he was a as a villain as a bad guy, um, you know, kind of like ticked all the boxes. Um, and I like Jones, who was um, Lily's police partner. Um, I quite liked him. He seemed a little bit different than all the other characters. That's a bit idea, really. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like the killing. Now, I know, I know some people might be thinking, uh-oh, he's a bit of a nutter. But when we wrote the Traxxas sci-fi RPG and, and we did the evil characters, I, I couldn't help but think of the, the, my evil character when I was, I was watching the bit where Edgar escapes and he, he you know, shoves his fingers straight through somebody's eye sockets and pulls someone's heart out uh, and, and literally put, I'll punch you someone straight through the mouth in one bit. I was clapping at that bit. I was thinking, yes, <laughs> yes, more of this. This is what we like to say. I could have had eight. I mean, this film was only on for 82 minutes. And it did, it did go pretty quickly, I thought. Um, and, and I was awake all the way through it and not drunk either. Um, so, you know, I bought this for £2.50 and it was worth it for £2.50. <laughs> I like the aesthetic. I thought that was the most unique part of this film and it's why I suggested it, other than the fact that you and I are both writing this RPG and I just yeah. thought it would be a nice um, resource for us. They had Zeppelins flying in the air, which I thought was awesome. Let's see, what else? There were parts of it that kind of reminded me of Bioshock, the eerie kind of feel of the whole setting. I really liked the fact that it often shifted between diesel punk and steampunk. And if you don't know what diesel punk is, we should probably explain. Diesel punk is a subgenre of science fiction. It's kind of like an alternate history. It takes place in the 30s and 40s and probably the turn of the 20th century. Mm. And it involves anything that's powered by diesel, and it could be a mix of technology. And steampunk is similar in that it takes place in the Victorian era, and it is technology powered by steam. In this film, there was DNA mm. um, charts that they were showing on like this really old-fashioned plate that looked like they shot it with one of those old cameras. Yeah. And it was just a, a blend of technology. There was a television that looked like it was just a radio. I liked that part. I thought that was very well done. It made it different. You know, that's what I liked about the movie in general was that it took something that we've seen a million times, the vampire mystique or, or stories, and they stuck it in this universe, which I thought was really unique. So Yeah, I agree, I agree actually. That was, that was um, yeah, the, the actual getting that right with the diesel punk and also having the occasional steampunk references going through it, like with mm -hmm. the cars were run on steam. Yeah. Uh, I thought that, oh, that looked really cool. Some of the attire too, like there were guys wearing derbies. It would just shift back and forth between steampunk and diesel punk. So I thought that was cool. I, I liked the fact that I guess she was the chief of police. Mm. Do you think that's who Lily was, was the chief of police? No, I'd say, I'd say she's probably the lead detective. The lead detective? The, yeah. I liked yeah. that she was in that role. And she was really interesting. I believed that she could be in that position during the first half of the movie. And then towards the middle, she started falling apart for me as a character. She kept getting captured. She mm. had to have someone rescue her. Um, she was like a shrinking violet. I like that they tried to use vampires in a different way, you know, where mm. they're genetic experiment. What else? The placement of them in the church where they become the protectors and never in the history of their existence have they ever murdered humans, except for Edgar. You know, he yes. was the first. And the one thing that really bugs me a lot about them was their teeth. <laughs> Why? Well, I liked the baby whenever oh, the they showed the beginning. The, they look like kitten teeth, you know, <laughs> and they seemed real. And then the uh, the brothers, whenever you would see their teeth, they just look like those plastic ones you wear <laughs> as a kid on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always been a bit iffy when it comes to vampire style teeth. I mean, yeah. that's why I, I've always rather liked uh, Nosferatu's teeth being in the front two teeth. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to bite into something, especially piercing skin, you want them at the front, the first two front teeth, not on the sides. So I've always had a bit of an issue when it comes to vampire teeth. They're very animalistic in mm. their movements. They had superhuman hearing, you know, all of the general stuff. They could see very well. They could climb and scale things very quickly. That scene at the very beginning of the movie where he, that's something I didn't get is what he was doing with his hands when he'd hover them over places. Was, it, was he seeing if he could feel the tremors of the ground moving? That's what I thought. Yeah, but he would also like hover his hands over Lily when she was sleeping and hover them over the like the railing when he was walking up the mm -hmm. stairs. There was a scene where he was kind of hovering his hands over a puddle. That's the beginning, yeah. And then he does this really cool spin. He was almost lighter than air when he moved, and I thought mm. that was a really cool scene. But as a character, I don't think I liked him very much. He was one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, didn't take much acting for him. I mean, whether I mean whether that's that's not having a go at Dugo, but 
there's not much kind of like warmth there, but maybe that's why he's supposed to be. But I, I know what you mean. He was just kind of like very stiff, wasn't he? It was like yeah. watching Hugh Grant. You know, it was. <laughs> it, there was no emotion, which was different than Edgar, who was very emotional, but he was also insane. But it had to come from somewhere, right? They didn't really explain why he was like that, you know, just kind of unemotional and detached. And, and in some ways, they reminded me of the Jedi. Yeah. You know, where they had to be given up at birth and brought into a kind of a monastic group to be raised. I don't yeah. know if it was to protect humans, but if none of them ever attacked humans at all, then why would that be? Maybe it was to protect them from the humans, because they did make this big thing about how humans were prejudiced against them. Mm. Um, and they were saying as well that they, they, they've uh, how, many, how many years have they been there? So like eight hundred years or something? Three hundred years. Three hundred years. So you think to yourself, well, you know, all due respect, mate, but the human race has been here a lot longer than you. Uh, could you get the opinion that the Brotherhood do think they are, you know, um, all high and mighty? Yeah, almost like do, they're worshipped. Yeah, yeah, and it is it is kind of like, and that's why I think when when you was reading the, the uh, plus will say it when you, it says the church, you know, it doesn't doesn't define any kind of Religion. what church it is. Yeah. I think it's I think it's called like they're called the church, but it's not as a basis of a religion. I think it's more of a a, a group, you know, mm-hmm. as a collection. It's a church of a collection, um, and you do get you do get the opinion that they, although they say, oh yes, we're we're here to look after everyone. You think well you can't help but think in the back of your head, well, who give you the right? Because yeah. we've been here a lot longer. And okay, you can you can live a lot longer and you can do these cool moves and all that. But considering the influenza's rife around the, you know, around Jamestown and, well, okay, we get to know that's mainly because of Edgar, mm. even though he was, trying, he was meant to be finding a virus for it. They don't seem to have done a lot, a very good job of protecting anybody. No. It looks like a horrible place to live. I noticed that too. They kept calling the vampires miracles, I kept thinking, why are they miracles? Other than the fact, like you said, they were long lived. That's P- that's PR, isn't it? Because it's like it's something that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have something that's different and you're a PR person, you're going to turn around and say, "Oh, look at these weirdos, freaks, uh, you know, or, or that kind of thing." You're going to have to call them something else. And yeah. for a place which is obviously suffering pretty bad, if you give somebody a miracle, if you have these people to look after you, you're going to win. It, which is why the good point at the end where they've got their Almost like their rosaries that they have, mm-hmm. um, which do look quite. I must admit that the symbol that they've got looks looks really cool, uh, and they're thrown on the ground. It's the kind of the sign that they they no longer believe, so they mm-hmm. no longer believe in miracles. That's the only thing I can think of is being yeah. a really good PR system. Really, you know? the Brotherhood is corrupt. They're lying. They're covering up murders, doing genetic testing to try to create more of themselves. The people, when they finally find out, are like, huh, you know, mm. what do I believe in this for? Why am I going and giving my blood to the church so that you can survive? That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. That's how the vampires survive. It's like a beneficial relationship, a symbiosis. The vampires provide their blood to the humans because it heals them. Yeah. And I, mean, I, sp- I suppose when you, when you look at it that way, there is, I mean, the, the essence is between the, I suppose if you, if you, when he goes back to saying that about the church, that comes together slightly, especially with like Catholicism. I think mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a certain nod towards the Catholic yeah. church there, not, not particularly in a good way, no. which I think it does come from the director when he, when he says, mm-hmm. you know, people worshiping him. And you've got this whole group called the Brotherhood, which is a bit like the Pope, and then they're offering the blood. I suppose when you look at it that way for you to be healed, mm-hmm. there is that kind of connection. I did, I did get a little bit of a feel that he was knocking slightly every now and again the Catholicism. I noticed um, that too, yeah. Um, but uh, that's that's him. Um, I, I I don't know if you add discs um, with the same, but I watched a little bit of the interview with the director of that, and I kind of got the opinion of it. But he was a bit boring, and I turned it off after five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I found out later that there is a perfect creature too, but it is so horrible. It's available for free on the internet. <laughs> Now, see, I've looked that up, and mm-hmm. I've, I've I've tried. I've gone on their forum as well, mm-hmm. and I don't know if because I read that I read the same thing where you read where it says it's it's been it's been so it's so bad that um it's you can watch it for free. But then when I went onto that website where you can watch it for free, it's not on there. It's only Perfect Creature that's on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Wiki and on the there is actually a Perfect Creature fan page. Oh, really? <laughs> I think I've had three posts. Um, so which is pretty good uh, and and they don't mention anything about it so I'm not 100% sure if it does actually exist or if it is yeah. truly that bad 
where they're trying to hide any kind of evidence of it because mm-hmm. I don't think any of the actors that were in this one are in it because it's not on uh, any of the IMDb pages. Um, so it, it could be one of those ones where, you know, someone else has gone out and made it and just hashed it totally. I feel like we're knocking it a lot. I would give it a solid B. It's not an uh, F movie. A being one a being and Z the highest. being B? I give it a B. <laughs> As in B-movie? As in a B-movie. It's a B-movie. I've yeah. seen worse. Oh, gosh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I've yeah. seen worse. No, I mean, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. I mean, mm-hmm. It does sound like we are kind of ripping it to yeah. shreds. And, and I must admit, I would watch it again. Uh, and Natalie watched it with me. And she hates any kind of horror or, you know, these kind of dark kind mm-hmm. of films. And she sat through it, you know, pretty well. I mean, she admittedly, she spent 95% of that time on Facebook as we were watching it. <laughs> um, and to be fair, I did as well sometimes. But I think they do a good job. I think I think Dugray Scott is pretty miscast in this. I, mm-hmm. I just don't think – I'd like to have seen somebody a little bit more – I don't know. You know, I could have seen a Crispin Glover doing this kind of thing. I know that might have took it slightly out of into the boundaries of insanity a bit. Like, you know, his character in the Charlie's Angels films. Um, I quite like the way he is that kind of dark. I would have liked to have seen that a bit more. I didn't particularly care much for any kind of love story going on between yeah, Lily. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's any need for that because the whole film is about the darkness and, and all mm. that. As I say, my, my favourite character in it is Jones, who's Lily's uh, partner. I thought his character was, was really well fleshed out. He doesn't like them. He doesn't hide about it. He's a little bit sarcastic. And he, he carries a great gun. It's, his gun in that is a German C-96 broom handle Mauser, um, which is only ever seen in World War II films. In fact, Lily carries a, a Japanese gun, I think, uh, a semi auto uh, and that i quite like in it and, mm. and i think if you'd like the to see these films where they are mixing as just as you said earlier on with your ec- excellent description of diesel pump where you've got victorian mixed with 1950s i mean you've got 1950s tvs there you've got clothing which i i think is really more i'd say 19 uh, 19 early 1950s late 1940s american uh, you know, with the, the large ties, you know, the the, color, the colorful kind of like suits that they wear, um, and with the, the the darkness of the whole picture, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Brazil, the, the Terry Gillian film, uh, and also his, his Twelve Monkeys films, which I think do do rely on an awful lot on steampunk. But I think they pulled that off, and considering how much how much this this DVD is available on Amazon. You know, I think it's worth picking it up for the for that price anyway, just to, yeah. just to give it a go. Um, I don't think people would, will be too disappointed with it. I'd, I'd probably go for a, a C minus. Really? I think. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, well, C is good in my book. You know, <laughs> come on, if C, I, if I, D is for diploma. <laughs> yeah. E is for exempt. Uh, C is for crappy, crappy minus. So it's not. <laughs> so I can't give it a B. Why C? What are you rating that is C worthy? Is it the story or is it the acting? Is it the vampire part of it? I know you're big into the horror genre and you are very particular. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking at it more of like a story and acting wise. (laughs) (laughs) You give it a B. I give it a B. Oh, look, look, A is Empire Strikes Back, B is Star Wars, C is Return of the Jedi. It gets a C. Return of the Jedi is my favorite. Thank you very much. Exactly. It's a C. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as good as Empire. That's an A. No. And you can't say it's as good as Star Wars. I I just said it was my favorite. I didn't say it was better written. It's a C, isn't it, generally? (laughs) Well, look, it's better than The Phantom Menace. Indeed it is. I would watch its sequel, the third one, and probably the remake done by the man who does the Transformers films. (laughs) Uh, over Phantom Menace. So that's that's my writing. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. The, you're right about the romantic aspect of the movie. It just wasn't clicking really for me because he came off like a sex offender, you know, like within <laughs> yeah, like, the church. Yeah. Who, he's like a molester or something, you know. It wasn't romantic because usually women like Angela love vampires <laughs> And would mm. love to have a vampire lover. Oh, but really? I don't think she would be turned on by this guy at all. Well, he hasn't so, got the moves, has he? It's not like he's, he's, not like he's pulling out all the stops to, to woo anybody over. No, but she's all. drawn to him for some weird reason. And so well, she drank his blood, partner. didn't she? I mean, uh, I mean she yeah, kind yeah. of... Uh, and that scene was, again, it was strange. Just yeah, she was, she was definitely going at it on that one, wasn't she? That was, <laughs> yeah. that was third base going at it. 
That was fair play to her. Get in there. Get in there, lass. If you're going to feel better, get them chops around his old wrist. Uh, but I mean, I, I think I do agree. I do agree what you said about uh, Lily, though, that she was she wasn't your run of the mill. Um, which which could easily go that way uh, for for these for, you know for the character to go being a woman who's in charge mm-hmm. you know she she kept her, her old you know I, I love the scene where she stood up you know she walked in she commanded the the scene with the little boy with the two police officers yeah. and they look awesome dressed in like early nineteen twenties uh, UK police outfits mm-hmm. um, but I love the way she dominated it and then she turned a charm on the little boy. And as soon as she got the answer, she turned around and told them to take him away with a little bit of authority, but then added the quip of and make sure he's fed, you know. And I can understand that's taking that's giving the, the, the motherly instinct over mm-hmm. the fact that she's lost her child, but she's she doesn't let all of that take over her emotionally. And that I quite like. I was I was quite hoping that the photograph that you saw every now and again, because you never see her husband. You don't know what, what I don't think you know what happened. He died to from him. influenza. She, oh, he died from yeah, influenza. Yeah, she said he went right away, but her, that her daughter lingered longer and suffered. Oh. She was telling uh, Silas about that. Oh, right. so. I tell you what was good though. Uh, that doll with oh, the flapping yeah. that was horrible. You didn't like the doll. No, I thought the scene was great, but oh. would you want that in your bedroom when you was a little girl? <laughs> Come on, flapping at you with its porcelain face. Hell no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I'm not a doll fan anyway, especially Victorian dolls. Yeah, I mean, they are creepy. I mean, that was, that was super creepy. They have real hair and glass eyes, and they look like they're following you. So it, it, it's real. really neat, though. The, the, it's kind of like an automaton. This is how you learn that she's lost a child. And she opens a box that belonged to her daughter and pulls out a doll. It's an angel, and it has wings, and when she picks it up, does she turn something on it, or does it automatically just start flapping its wings? No, she, she puts her hand behind it and, and flicks a switch. And, oh, okay. And so Again, this angel, uh, the yeah. aesthetic in the film is A+. Plus, yeah, I think, that I will, I will, I'll move away from the C to give that an A+. Plus. Yeah, It drops, drops down, but... You know, we've we've both got children, and mm-hmm. and and I wouldn't buy my my daughter that. No wonder she lingered. She was probably hoping for a decent present. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it really was. No, no wonder the husband went first. It's, a, it's if, a horrible world. Maybe. Oh come on, you can make things better than that. That was horrible. I mean, no wonder the husband. I mean, imagine what the presents the husband had got. No wonder he was happy to die. <laughs> it was atrocious. <laughs> I thought the moment that she started going south as a character, they started doing the raid on the house you know that they were watching that edgar was in they knew he was there they knew he was stalking another victim and she sees one of her detectives in the hallway his throat is ripped out he's bleeding out of course that's going to affect anyone a soldier a you know a a police officer anyone but the Mm. professionalism you would think would kick in she's obviously been trained as a a peace officer so you'd think that she would check it and move on but she's just like freaked out at that moment and when they open the door you can just see that she doesn't want to be there she's scared to death some of that would be good you want to see that she's not a robot but i don't think it should have affected her and from then on out she became the wuss. Yeah. She was captured right away. She was bitten. Uh, Silas saves her. She was captured again. She was chained. <laughs> Silas saved her again. She does end up taking Edgar out, which I thought was awesome. It was like a really yeah. good way to kill a vampire. Yeah, that was that was a good that was a good. Kid. I also like I like to get enough that um, when she was tied to the pipe. Yeah, that uh, was I mean, of all the places story. to tie, you think you'd have tied somewhere better, but the way that the one crazy person mm-hmm. got into a room and was trying to get her, I actually really did enjoy that. You actually felt in, in danger. There was, yeah. a, there was a moment of thinking, oh, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't yeah. like that at all. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, uh, she's trying to slam the door shut and she's chained. She's kicking the door and the woman, the insane woman, who looks like she's demon-possessed, is trying to claw through the door. Mm. You know, to get through the door. And then she gets in and she's like got her around the waist and tugging on her and oh my god, yeah, that was well done. And the possessed yeah. the possessed patients were um were they were pretty good. I like that kind of yeah. um insane, fast moving style of thrashing about in the bed when you're tied down. I like I like the blood bleeds but I, and I really like the kind of the doctor who just stood there mm-hmm. thinking Ah uh, crap! What do I do here? I am really out. Like, this isn't what medical school was all yeah, about. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it, I'm going to go and watch it again. I, I might, I might move my C to a to a B minus now. Oh, because of that kind of stuff. Just because I'm just going to skip to the scene selection. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it on the show notes. You know, just get to these. <laughs> one of the best scenes ever 
was um, when Edgar was in that solitary confinement or like the padded cell that wasn't a padded cell, when he was rocking back and forth, staring down the people who were guarding him, Mm. and he would make a run for the glass and slam his head into it over and over again until he started making a crack. The guys on the other side of the glass never noticed the crack. They just, you know, were like, dude, I wish he would stop doing that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) freaking me out. And, you know, he started, like, brushing his hands against the cement floor. Oh, Over yeah. time, he wore grooves in it. It was it was very creepy. That that was well done. And I have to say, that character reminded me of your character in our steampunk vampire RPG. Yes, I know. And even he looks a little bit like him, because yeah, that's how we kind of that's described him. I visualized him, too. <laughs> and the fact that they're siblings, my character and your character are siblings. And, yeah, yes, yeah. and my character's good and yours is bad. It's very similar but also again i i mentioned dexter early on mm. i think that they did have you ever seen dexter no i know of it but i've not watched any of it dexter is a serial killer but he hunts other serial killers and so when i was creating my character for the steampunk rpg i was kind of basing her on him so she's a vampire who kills um humans who murder other humans that ah, kind of thing. okay well <laughs> This movie, I think, probably came out around the same time as Dexter did, because you have two brothers, and Dexter had a brother who was a serial killer, and he was trying to get Dexter to hunt innocent people, because it's more fun. And he's luring him by leaving bodies in certain areas, because he studies blood spatter patterns. Oh, okay. So, the similarities were everywhere. So, either... It was like our RPG and completely ironic that the two were similar or one of them borrowed from the other. I just noticed oh. that. That was what I really liked about Dexter. I had to stop watching Dexter because it was becoming so psychologically stressful for me that I would think someone was trying to open the door and sneak in or... Oh really? Yeah, like so it got, it got I, to you that bad. It did. It it's it's it'll get you because you find yourself rooting for Dexter. Yeah. You know, so yeah, so your moralistic point of view says. Yeah, you but you feel yeah. bad and dirty for rooting for Dexter at the same time. Oh, he's a it sounds bastard. like my kind of thing. Yes. So, I but like anyway, like <laughs> this movie was similar in that way, but not not done nearly as well. Mm. There's, there's something that annoyed me a little bit on this. Uh, I might, might get down to the sea again now, I think. Uh, was the, <laughs> you know, when they, they kind of scuttle up the walls, like Edgar moves up the walls. Now, the be- at the beginning with Silas, when he does that cool spin round, that was good. That looked cool. Yeah. But the rest of it, where they were scaling up the walls, reminded me of the old 1970s Spider-Man TV <laughs> program. I was thinking, you can tell that on wires. They're not even yeah. touching it. It was, yeah. that was very, very It poor. was bad. I noticed that too. Yeah. But, you know, for the part, I mean, it, it cost, as we say, it cost 11 million. I don't know if this is dollars or New Zealand dollars, a million dollars, because it was filmed in New Zealand. So New Zealand film. This was actually the most expensive film to be shot in New Zealand outside of the Lord of the Rings films. So that just gets to show. I mean, New Zealand do create some awesome films. There's no question about it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, a, I'm a massive advocate of uh, bad taste and Brain Dead and uh, and um, the cow, you know, the, the low budget Australian stuff. Uh, sorry, uh, New Zealand stuff. Although I, I, I don't know if it made an awful lot of money. I couldn't find any any records of how much it made. Well, it's made two pound fifty for me. So <laughs> and nine dollars for me. And nine dollars. Oh, nine dollars. Wow. Yeah. You know, what can you buy for nine dollars these days? Uh, let's maybe see. Dexter. <laughs> I could buy an album on iTunes, a really good one. You could buy Rick Moyer's album. I could. Again, we should have done that. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, don't buy this. Go uh, buy, buy something from buy. Rick Moyer. Yeah, go buy Rick Moyer's album. Musician extraordinaire. <laughs> the bearded wonder that he is. But I, all in all, though, I mean, I, I think we've I think we've given some good positive notes about it, and we've also ripped into it a little bit. And but, then, you know. yeah. Before we end it, what did you think about the female vampire that was born and having given it to lily to take care of i quite like that that was a nice i mean she's shown that she's you know i mean that's all to do with silas though isn't it i mean silas and he's uh he's all the the brotherhood guy though so is he an outcast or is he being a bit secret Mm because you know he he just pops up somewhere looking like the guy from heroes um 
he, I, I quite like that. I, I think it does. It does leave it open to a sequel. There's no question about that. It's you know, it immediately it is, is left yeah. open. But I quite like that. I think I thought that you know, she's she's lost a child. She's mm. got that motherly instinct anyway, as as was shown, as we mentioned earlier on, with the little boy in the in the um, in the alleyway. Um, no, I quite like that. What, what about you? I thought, how was she going to take care of this kid? You well, know? she's got a doll with flappy wings. <laughs> <laughs> and a creepy baby vampire might find that entertaining. Exactly. But I'm saying, like, how are you going to feed the baby? You're going to slit your wrist and feed the baby that way? I mean, it just seems kind of creepy. And, I suppose and you then could, though, the other thing I want to know is, like, why is the brotherhood raising the children? Is it to keep them from becoming sadistic and monstrous? Because if that's the case, then she's going to have her hands full trying to raise a baby vampire girl who could turn out to be just like her daddy, which was Edgar, who was insane. I had this feeling that whatever made him insane could, you know, have been passed on to this baby girl. That would have been a good premise, I guess, for a sequel. It it just kind of abruptly ends. I thought it does, the it does. There is a bit of that essence towards about the Jedi scenario, though, isn't there? Like what, yeah, you, exactly. what we said earlier on about the the Jedi coming along and taking your children away and stealing them. A little bit fascist there from the Jedi, I think. But mm-hmm. um, there, there is, a, I mean, there was a lot of backstory about that when you think about it, with Jedi taking the, the kids away. So I think that's very much prominent in this. Um, but I don't know. I mean. <sighs> There again, that would have been a good sequel, wouldn't it? Especially mm-hmm. if it turns out to be slightly dangerous. But there again, is it, a, is it a, a fact of nature versus nurture on that? You know, will her new environment be be different? I mean, she's got Silas's blood inside her now, hasn't she? Lily has. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, that was a diverting slightly, but the um, the optics with the blood mm-hmm. that was cool. That was I like that where they've got the the the, the other woman with the blood going from a vein into another still and then that's still having optics coming off where you could fill the, the glass up with the blood yeah that was rather disgusting that was good though wasn't it i mean that that's what a party piece you know who needs one of those uh cheese fondue sets when you can have one of them at a dinner party i mean everyone's going to remember it i think those are the things that kind of reminded me of bioshock as someone no, who, who hates vampires and has never liked vampires <laughs> i wasn't revolted at all and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Do you, do you think people who are into this um, Twilight stuff, do you think they'd like this film? Or do you think it's no. the total opposite of what they, they, they no, wouldn't like it? they would not like it. Because um, I, don't, I don't know anything about it. And I don't really want to know either about Twilight or anything. I'm not. If you like glitter on your vampires, this is not the movie for you. Oh, so, right. Okay. Yeah. No, bring, me, bring me Christopher Lee and Hammer Hover films any day, and that suits me fine. <laughs> Exactly. Even the Abbott and Costello version of Vampires is better than Twilight. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that's how, that's how we end it on that. What a review. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's Perfect Creature for you. If you can rent it from a video store, maybe don't buy it unless it's like on sale or in a clearance bin. Yeah, it will be. It's, it's probably not, popping up shelving. It's not available on Netflix streaming. Otherwise, I would never have bought it myself. <laughs> are you so, keeping it? Or are you going to sell it? I'm going to let Angela borrow it. And if she likes okay. it, she can have it. I'll tell you, what, I might give mine away. I think we should <laughs> do a competition right now. We should right do now. a competition. Okay, let's do a competition. Then. That's a good idea. <laughs> now we need to think of a question quickly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I know. Uh, the question is... Who were mine and Jen's characters in the Treks in Sci-Fi RPG? Answers to Rico Dusty, and I will send you my copy of uh, this film. And bearing in mind, it's Region 2, uh, so you need a multi-regional DVD player. There you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. You can have mine, and then anyone who, who wins this one uh, can also use it to prop up their shelving, uh, to give you away to a family member you don't like, uh, or even <laughs> oh. better... It would be a, your child. It would be an awesome white elephant gift at Christmas time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, hopefully you get someone you really don't like, uh, and you can wrap it up and send it. It's not. It's not that bad. It's Merry a, it's Christmas. A, <laughs> Nothing Merry says Christmas. Merry Christmas like a vampire movie. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think that's that's a winner. So the questions. In fact, I'm going to make the question a little bit harder because uh, I'll probably have to post this overseas. So the question is. Who did me and Jen, whose characters, what are our characters' names, on the Trex and Sci-Fi RPG, and what are our character names on the Steampunk RPG 
only anomaly site. So you've got to find four names and you'll get this DVD for free. Well, it, it'll be free for you to get, but after you've watched it, uh, you'll probably hate us for the rest <laughs> of your life. No, that's not fair, is it? It's not fair. They would be more entertained by our RPG story, I think. I think they would be, definitely. Yeah, because yeah, we're awesome. Yeah, and, and, and there's a lot more blood and there's a lot more violence. Oh, and yes. <laughs> especially because Mads is writing. If you like the uh, Mirror Universe version of his character, you will love his character in the steampunk RPG. <laughs> and if you like really good structure and really good storyline, then you can go and read Jen's, <laughs> Jen's post. And if you just like eyeballs popping, lungs being pulled out, and, uh, and, oh, and nostrils being torn open, you can like, oh, is, is this explicit, this, uh, this podcast? Because it's going to be now. <laughs> I don't think it's explicit, no. no. No, Well, as you're drunk already anyway on whiskey and ice <laughs> and, uh, and all that kind of jazz, and we, we've mentioned orgy-style uh, vampire drinking of blood, yeah, yes. I think it's going to be explicit, though. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's it, isn't it? Yep. Let's wrap this up. Rigo, it's over. Back to you, you poor right. soul. <laughs> Should we give, like, the contact information for Rigo? Oh, you can I know that. how to close Anomaly. I don't know how to close Strikes and Sci-Fi. Just go to www.trexysci-fi.com and you'll find all the information there. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I've been there for four years. You've been there for six. You'd think we'd know these things. I know. And we've written him many times. But no, uh, I've hosted, I think, eight, eight podcasts on this site now. I should be paid, Rico. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoy your holiday. <laughs> yes, because you probably won't ask us back again. Nope. <laughs> and, and next week demon barbers from boston uh, another another gen and meds dvd review <laughs> anyway let's sign off uh, my name is meds and i'm jen and, and you've been listening to Drex in sci-fi that was like anomaly it was it was see i told you let's let's we gotta mix it up okay okay i'm not simon meddings and I'm not Jen Rose. And you are indeed listening to Treks and Sci-Fi without Rico Dosti. <laughs> <laughs> Who's out with his legs out in his car and his shorts. <laughs> with his guy like, with his, his iced green tea. <laughs> Good night. Good night. All right. Do you think there was too much laughing in that? Oh, no, I think that's all good. It's only one, one, one out of 15 minutes, though, and that's the boat. You know, to take Hello, Ice. That means you got whiskey. Uh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> Don't wish. tell me you've got water. It's too early for whiskey. <laughs> Never. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. Come on, you're an American. That's when you start. <laughs> no, this is beer time. Whiskey's later. This <laughs> like, oh, okay. Chasers, okay. nice. Uh, so hopefully we'll be done by then. But otherwise, good. How's how's life over there in sunny Texas? Pretty good. It's not going to be. It's not going to be sunny much more though, because Dave sold uh, several months of uh, your weather to me. So I've heard. He did not <laughs> consult me on this, so we may have to renege on the deal. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a done deal now. That's what husbands are for. We make these stupid decisions and then get to, and get battered by the wives afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a Rick Dosty production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved. Music by Jewelbeat.com. The specter of war and destruction came in the last months of 2287. And now, we are all that remains, holding the line. This is Captain David Sheridan. God help us all. Novo Babylonia, a new audio drama based around the hit TV series Babylon 5. Produced by FictionShed.com. Available now on iTunes or www.novo-b.com. Sci-Fi Radio Theater, the Internet's premier source of original science fiction radio plays, presents the Bagua Box, a sci-fi murder mystery. Now, what did you want to see me about? My brother was murdered. I want you to find the killer since the police can't. This electrifying eight-part
part series is available now as a podcast on iTunes and on Sci-Fi Radio Theater.com. New episodes uploaded on Sundays. You will acquire the con you job. Set in a futuristic Boston where robots are a part of everyday life, private investigator Otto Vinakinen and his assistant Patricia must investigate the mysterious death of a scientist. I need some information on the Omar Diaz murder case. Like I said, the boys are going to think you're into the weird stuff. Get hooked on the mystery. What's this? Half of the wall slid open. Survive the danger. Initiating destruction sequence. Status initiated. Oh my god, it's a hyper-neurobomb! Feel the drama. We need to stop. I'll tell you when we need to stop! Stay for the hot, steamy robot sex. I am here to act out your every fantasy. Please state fantasy in clear English towards my microphone input unit. Uh, okay? The Bagua Tweebox, an original eight-part sci-fi murder mystery radio play podcast from Sci-Fi Radio Theater. Episode 1 and 2 are available now on iTunes and at sci-fi-radio-theater.com. New episodes uploaded on Sundays. Don't miss the adventure for anything. And hey, you did really good. I'm glad you're on this case. Aw, thanks! Ooh, you Okay. I slipped in blood. Why is a Victorian bicycle possibly Hartnell's best moment? <laughs> How are the crotons an emotional linchpin of Doctor Who? I'm going to take the test. I can't let you go in there alone. Why was the third doctor having an affair with a color-changing hussy? No, no, Brigadier, you'll damage my car. How many rules of science and common sense did the invisible enemy violate? We'll be reduced to micro-dimensions. You then scoop us both up and inject us into my master printer. Was ousting Harriet Jones the doctor's biggest mistake? Six words. Stop it. Six. How did the doctor, the widow, and the wardrobe's physics-defying teaser actually have a precedent in the Who universe? Come here, spaceship. Come here, doctor. To find out the answers to these questions, and many more. Join us for Under the Miniscope, a weekly Doctor Who podcast in bite-sized chunks. Uh, I prefer fun size. From the husband and wife team of Andrew and Sarah Gilbertson. We'll review classic serials, discuss new episodes, list favorite trends, whatever's on our mind. You can find us at www.nolinecinemas.com. So come on by each week and hear which part of Doctor Who's nearly 50-year saga that we've got under the miniscope. A miniscope? Now this is outrageous. Now let me warn you that I intend to put an end to this shameful business. I couldn't escape now if I wanted to. They've trapped me here. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief 
and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by Jewelbeat.com Hello there, my name is Med. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. Alright, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the... Mark? Alright, get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle On Podcast. And we like to talk about... Crap. TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it. Really? <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we've already had a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at the http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> The Flash Pulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. Now it's three, three, three apocalypses in one. Yeah! Suffering from tough, stuck-on humans? Well, twenty hellish hours of suffocation in the all-encompassing web of Carwick the Spider God will get them right out. Too many brains lying around? The ravenous mouths surrounding zombie-fighting Ruby will quickly clean those up. Nosy neighbors, infect them with the murder plague, and watch as they dissolve into paranoid maniacs bent on the preemptive assassination of their friends and family. Why stop at one end of the world when you can have all three? You can find them all at flashpulp.com or search for them on iTunes. 